0: Hi there, good evening and what's up, America. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you this Monday night. Our telephone number, if you want to join our late night national town hall conversation, give us a call, 833 4825 337 833 Valdez. So a couple of things that are going on in the news that caught my eye. Obviously, Bidenomics continues to really do a really fantastic job, right? Just check your pockets, your bank accounts, your wallets and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Plus, um, there's some action coming out of North Korea. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Plus, the military's decided to prioritize abortions within the military. Now, I don't know why they would prioritize that over so many other pressing issues, but that is going on, and we're going to get to the bottom of that as well. Uh, Of course, you've heard about uh, Jason Aldean's new song and John Rich's new song and the big Oliver Anthony song, and there's so much to do about those songs, and... I've got a guest tomorrow night that I think you're really going to enjoy. Who's going to talk about uh, his own songs and uh, a quite an American success story. So uh, I'll tell you more about that a little bit later as well. But make sure you're tuned in tomorrow for that. You don't want to miss it. There's also some discussion on a four-day work week. Uh, I want to dig into that a little bit. But the big story right now that I'm looking at is Donald Trump, Donaldus Magnus El Trompito, the 45th president of these United States, Donald J. Trump, he is uh, expected to uh, turn himself in to the authorities in Georgia on $200,000 bail for his uh, fourth indictment. And uh, this is interesting. Now, another story that's pretty big that's out there is this story um, in uh, coming out of Asia. And we'll get to a little bit more on that at the top of the... Uh, of the second hour. Right now, I want to dig into this because President Joe El Baboso Biden was in Maui today. And, of course, uh, he was getting heckled by people that were holding no comment signs from the audience based on, obviously, you know, him saying that initially when he said, hey, what are you doing to um, address the issues going on in Hawaii? And Joe El Baboso Biden is often at a loss for words. Have all that Biden. And he was there. And, you know, there's a lot of criticism over, you know, what he did. But I want you to hear what he had to say. We got a few clips of that, and then we'll take it from there. Listen to Joe Biden, Joe El Maboso Biden, the president of the United States in Hawaii today.
3: Jill and I have what's left of Walk Front Street, Was left of it. We've surveyed the damage from the air as well.
0: The devastation is overwhelming. Now, the devastation is overwhelming. If you've seen any of these videos, and I'm seeing so much stuff, of course, when you see things that are extraordinarily odd, people right away, they want to say, well, that's, you know, that's fake. It's propaganda. And it, there's a chance it could be. But you've got to see all these, like, laser beam things and, you know, the, what they're calling directed energy weapons that are just firing at, like, transformers and houses and all sorts of crazy stuff. I mean, I don't know anything about that. Maybe we can get an expert guest on that. But, yes, the damage is crazy, and I've said it before. I've never seen anything like this, maybe because I lived a sheltered life growing up in the concrete jungle of New York City then moving to the the urban area of northern New Jersey, and now I live in the suburbs in North Jersey. But I can tell you, I've never seen things that look like tornadoes made out of fire ripping through a town, just ripping through a town, just tearing apart everything uh, in their path. But Joe Biden continued after addressing the devastation. He went on to say that, you know, he loves, um, you know, everybody and that he wants to help everybody. And he, he went on to, to talk about how um, Senator Mazie Hirono is very helpful and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm going to skip that one. Uh, that's kind of boring. But he said what I think they needed to hear, maybe a little late, but I'm going to give him credit for saying it. This is Joe El Baboso Biden saying that the nation stands with Maui.
3: The country grieves with you, stands with you, and will do everything possible to help you recover, rebuild, and respect culture and traditions when the rebuilding takes place.
0: Now, he also went on to talk about how the federal agencies, including FEMA, are responding to needs in order to restore power. And I think this is important because people rely on their government, their local government. And as we know, their local government for from, from my perspective and for the intent and purpose of this conversation, I believe that their local government uh, failed them in so much as not sounding the alarm and whatnot, while others will argue with me saying, well, again, running inland versus running outland, whatever toward the water, blah, blah, blah. I still think, listen, any noise you can make in an emergency like this, where there's fireballs of tornadoes ripping through a city, I think you got to let everybody know as much as you can. Send them a text message. Do whatever you got to do. I mean, just get people to safety. With over 100 people dead, this is um, a tragedy, in my opinion. But this is Joe Biden uh, talking about the federal agencies, including FEMA, responding to the community's needs.
3: My administration has been in constant contact with the governor and congressional delegation and local leaders. As soon as I got the, governor, the governor's request, I signed the master, uh, the major disaster declaration that mobilized the whole of government response. Which means whatever you need, you're going to get has quickly provided 555,000 meals, 75,000 liters of water, 5,000 beds, 10,000 blankets, working to help remove the debris, repair roads, and restore power.
0: Well, thank you, Joe Biden, for doing all of that. It's great to know that um, we pay taxes and that the government's actually doing what they're supposed to do. Now, my issue with this, and you know I'm very critical of Joe Biden, but my, my criticism here is, does that not sound like he's on a stump? Like he's on a stump speech campaigning for president. She is. But I mean, where's the empathy, right? I thought empathy was on the ballot, Joe Biden said. Why is it that Joe Biden 55,000 meals? We're helping you. I, come on, bro. I think a little bit of empathy, a little bit of um, you know, better performance art, whatever it is. And maybe I'm just being unfair to him. And that's fine. I'm allowed to do that. But I really do think, You've got to meet people where they are. People have just, this is not a house fire. This is not an apartment building in the Bronx that went on fire, which is a tragedy in and of itself. This is a massive fire. That it was, I mean, again, I'd never seen anything like this. So I think you need to not harp on all of your achievements and accolades and 5,500 meals and whatnot, but really let people know we're here. This is what's available. We've got you. And he said that in the other one, but I just feel like it's not very convincing. And that could be my own personal bias, just telling the truth here. But I'm just um, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. But then again, when will I ever be happy with Joe Biden, right? Probably never. Anyway, people in the crowd were also disappointed. And these uh, angry Maui residents, they were slamming Biden. Some of them were holding no comment signs during uh, his uh, tour. And um, I hope he got to see them. I hope he was able to see what was going on inside the minds of people because people are already suffering in this country because of Bidenomics. People are already suffering because of the the current state of affairs because of Joe Biden, the lack of energy production, the higher gas prices. And when people are now facing the tragedy of losing their home or their business or everything, their family members, because of a fire, they need that reassurance, whether it's worth anything to them or not. He needs to deliver that. And when you see the people holding up no comment signs and heckling him, saying, go home, Joe, chanting, go home, Joe. I got to tell you, it's not a good look. Anyway, more on Bidenomics straight ahead to see how the rest of us are suffering. Kind of like Jimmy Carter's uh, misery index. That's, we should have that for Joe Biden as well. And uh, we're going to have a discussion on the economy and everything related to the economy straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Familia, welcome back. Uh, I want to have a discussion on the economy and various parts of the economy. I want to talk about central bank digital currency. Uh, that's always a, a hot topic that we're always learning more about. I also want to talk about the uh, changes in in um, household income. Right. Because I think so many people are feeling a, a, a tightening of the belt here and everybody's blaming inflation and inflation and that's accurate. But there's also, I think, a decrease in the median household income, and that obviously affects a lot of people, and there's a bunch of reports out on that, so we're going to get to that as well. But I want to start off with this conversation on central bank digital currencies and whether or not Congress is going to be greenlighting a central bank digital currency or a CBDC, not to be confused with CBD, which is that oil that's made from the cannabis plant. Anyway. Going uh, back to the original topic here, Uh, I want to introduce our guest, Peter St. Ange. Uh, He's got a PhD in economics and he is a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Dr. Peter St. Ange, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks for having me on, Rich. You bet. My pleasure. Happy to discuss the economy on a Monday night. This is always something that I sort of understand and then I go, I just don't get it. I don't understand what's happening. Uh, Probably because I'm looking at my bank account and seeing what I'm paying for gas. But we're going to make sense of all of that. So let's talk about this. You've got a piece in the Hill, a really good piece. And uh, it it talks about whether or not Congress is going to be greenlighting a CBDC. And I'd like your thoughts on that, if you don't mind walking us through it.
4: For sure. That was a big concern for a couple months here. And we've been kind of going back and forth with different offices in Congress. And the issue here is a CBDC, of course, is a way for government to control and monitor everything that you spend, right? So they can see what you're spending it on. Uh, They can stop you from buying certain things they don't like. Maybe you're eating too much meat. Maybe you're buying firearms. Uh, They can force you to buy things. They can lock you into a bank. If your bank's in distress, they can just go ahead and clamp down so that uh, you don't pull your money out. The bank at risk, so you have to go down with the ship. So, of course, there's a lot of things that are bad about CBDCs. There's really nothing good about them except that governments like them uh, because they like control, they like monitoring us. And, you know, public opinion is very, very strongly against CBDCs. Something like 75, 80% of Americans are against them. This is true in every country in the world. There was a march of 500,000 people in Austria. Austria is a country wow. about the size of North Carolina. All right. So if you imagine 500,000 people marching against CBDCs, Uh, Nigeria had riots against CBDCs. They're, I mean, they're they're really abominations. Nobody likes them. And so the people who are, you know, there's a ton of money, very deep-pocketed lobbyists, uh, banks, uh, outfits like Mastercard, these huge companies that want to impose a CBDC because it's easier for them. It reduces their costs. if they can save a penny on transactions, then to heck with our liberties. And these lobbyists, uh, they they make friends on Congress. Uh, They have senators on speed dial. And so part of what we do at Heritage is to police Mm -hmm. that sort of behavior Mm -hmm. and make sure that the people are coming first. And in the world of CBDCs, the biggest risk has been None of the lobbyists want what's called a direct CBDC can a direct CBDC is where you would treat the fed, like your bank. Okay. So rather than having an account at chase or Wells Fargo, you would have like an account basically at the federal reserve. It wouldn't look like it to you, uh, to you, it would just feel like, uh, you've got this CBDC account with money in it, but it would be at the fed. Now nobody Mm -hmm. wants that because that would put the banks out of business. Okay, so that is guarantee you that's not going to happen because Wall Street gets what it wants. Okay, so a direct CBDC is not a threat. The threat is what's called an intermediated CBDC or an indirect CBDC. And that's where it functions exactly the same on the back end. The bureaucrats can see what you're spending. They can control it. They can stop it. They can force it. They can play with you like a little puppet. They can sit there and look at all the money in the country and just move it over to one group or another group. We like this group today, this group votes for us. Okay, they can do all those things. The only difference is now they have a bank on the front of it that's handling it for them. So I've been calling that a contractor-built CBDC. That is a very big risk because the banks love that model because they get a cut of the profits right so if you have an intermediate CB, intermediated cbdc our liberties are just at risk all that's changed is the, that the banks are dealt in on it and that is a big threat because now the bank lobbyists flip from fighting cbdc's which they've been doing thankfully for once they're doing the right thing uh that flips them into promoting it and again what wall street wants it gets so that is what we have been digging our feet in And there was a bill circulating on the Hill that would essentially greenlight that sort of intermediated CBDC. And we could see from the people who signed the bill that they were not understanding what this bill was doing. Okay. There were people in the Freedom Caucus who I love dearly, and they're absolutely committed to our liberties, whose names were on this thing. And so we felt that there was a misunderstanding going on here. So we reached out to a number of offices. These are all Republicans. Uh, the Democrats are generally uniformly pro-CBDC, unfortunately. Right. Uh, but we reached out to a number of them and explained what the issues were, and that an intermediate CBDC, is that is the danger. Uh, and so now it looks like the bill is being fixed. So that danger seems to have receded. I think for now uh, we're happy. Uh, we don't see any real big risk coming from the Republican side. Now, the Democrats have been pushing CBDCs for a long time. They're generally much friendlier to the idea of state control. They trust the deep state in a way that most Republicans do not. But on the other hand, you know, the way our political system works is that if one party wants something the other party does not, it almost never happens in Congress. Uh, when both parties get together, that's when horrible things happen. Bipartisan is the most, it's the scariest word in the dictionary in Washington. <laughs> so what we were really focused on was making sure that Republicans didn't get suckered into this thing and then joined together with Democrats to make it happen. So for the time being, thankfully, it looks like Washington is deadlocked, or at least Congress is deadlocked on CBDCs. Now, having said, that's just Congress. And in theory, Congress makes all the laws, but in reality, the vast majority of the laws are made up by the deep state. In other words, by the Federal Reserve, by Treasury, Mm -hmm. got a whole bunch of regulators who make up rules about the financial system. In practice, 99% of the rules in our financial system are never touched by Congress. It's called delegation. So they essentially say to the SEC, uh, make financial uh, markets work, and then the SEC does whatever it wants to do and so we have a lot of cbdc risk coming out of that deep state primarily coming out of the federal reserve so they are running a cbdc pilot quote unquote yeah they don't have congressional uh yeah yeah they don't have any authority for that but you know the fed prints its own money meaning it doesn't have to come to congress and ask for permission you know most most of the government does but they do not
0: Folks, we're on with uh, Peter St. Ange, economist with the Heritage Foundation, and uh, we're discussing central bank, digital currencies, and the danger that they pose. We're going to continue that conversation right after this break. Don't go anywhere. Dr. Peter St. Ange is coming right back with me, Rich Valdez, and we're just getting started, so don't move a muscle.
5: Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about...
6: All the time.
2: America at Night with Rich Valdez.
0: So, the Austrian American economist, and you may not know his name, but I'll share with you Ludwig von Mises, uh, he said, The worst evils which mankind has ever had to endure were inflicted by bad governments. Uh, I tend to believe that. I think that's probably very true. And our guest, uh, Dr. Peter St. Ange, who's an economist with the Heritage Foundation, uh, he spent some time as a fellow at the Von Mises Institute, and we're having a discussion on central bank digital currencies and how bad they are for the people. It seems like there's no upside for the people and just only upside for the government. And it's it's shocking to see how it happens. And, you know, the the lesson I think we have to learn here, besides the mechanics of it, the real lesson here is, when we look at proposals that the government has, I think we need to do so with a high degree of skepticism in realizing that what they're telling us is not necessarily true for us, it's true for them, and that we have to always look out for what's good for us. Peter St. Ange, we were talking about the, um, the dangers of a CBDC and the potential um, signing or greenlighting of, of something in Congress that's been allayed for now. However, even Republicans well-intentioned Republicans were considering voting for something like this. And I think Congress has to absolutely hold the line. You said something I thought was uh, really, really uh, poignant, which was bipartisanship is the, uh, the code word for disaster, right? <laughs> and that's my paraphrase, but it's true. Uh, w- once they're all working on it together, nobody's looking out for the people. Peter St.
4: Yeah, that's the old joke. Uh, when you hear bipartisan, hold on to your wallet, hold on to your rights. Uh, I I am terrified. Whenever both the parties agree on something, uh, there may have been an age, generations ago, when you know Congress would come together and do smart things. But nowadays, it's an absolutely terrifying prospect. And you know, we were talking about um, sort of the swamp has has its own mind. It has its own goals. Uh, it has things it wants. And you know, whether it's uh, CBDCs, you know, the Fed, the Developing them really on its own, functionally with no congressional oversight, as if you know the Fed runs the country as if, uh, <laughs> as if we are not a democracy when it comes to the economy, that's uh, to me an outrageous state of affairs. Uh, so you know, first off, uh, the Fed should not be developing things like CBDCs on their own. Uh, if Congress didn't tell them to do it, what the heck are they doing? Uh, secondly, I mean, you know, ideally, uh, the, the Fed should be switched over so it's actually under the full authority of Congress. Dr. Ron Paul used to complain that the Fed had less oversight than the CIA, which is true. Uh, he would ask Fed, yeah, uh, he, he would ask Fed Chairman, "What are you doing with this program? Why are you doing this thing?" And they would say, um, I mean, you know, essentially, they would say, oh, "I don't want to answer that question. I don't have to." And their justification would be, yeah, essentially none of your business. If the Fed is none of our business, you you know, for the people's representatives, then what what is this democracy of ours? Right. So the Fed itself, I think, is this outrageous uh, creation. It's 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 private when it's convenient. It's public when it's convenient. It's really neither. It's not under our control. So it is not a public agency. Uh, It's sort of controlled by banks, but they have this patina with, you know, the president and the chairman and all this so that they can get that government prestige. Uh, If they were truly private, the American people would not put up with it. If it were truly public, Congress would not put up with it. So I, I understand why so many people are exercised against the Fed. But when it comes to the CBDC, given that Congress is thankfully deadlocked, Uh, really the Fed is what's pushing the CBDC on us and it's coming. You know, they just pushed through Fed now, which is sort of a proto CBDC in some ways. And that was just pushed out what last month. So they are building the machinery and they're doing it as fast as they can.
0: How much, um, obviously the, the, the Fed is running amok and doing what they want to do. And I agree with you. I am uh, one of those end the Fed um, pro end the Fed people. And I think we should get away from it. However, is it a pipe dream? Am I, uh, is this, um, a utopian fantasy of mine that will one day end the fed?
4: Unfortunately, historically central banks don't go away on their own. (laughs) Uh, fiat money, you know, does not stand down quietly and say, okay, guys, I'm sorry. So generally it takes a crisis and, you know, Central banks and fiat money causes the crisis, so they, they tend to end themselves, uh, but there's a lot of collateral damage. And so really the best you can do is keep an eye on it, uh, prepare yourself, hedge with real assets. That doesn't necessarily only mean gold, right? Like a house is a real asset. It is inflation protected. Uh, stocks are actually surprisingly inflationly, uh, inflation protected. They tend to do bad in recessions but during rampant inflation like in weimar germany uh people were actually very excited early on because the stock market was soaring right so the stock market would go up a million percent prices will only go up a hundred thousand percent well you just made out and people were very very excited moral of the story being that if you are alert you can protect yourself with real assets but in terms of You know, I think the best we can hope for is that the Fed sort of screws up, you know, it doesn't destroy the country, but it sort of 1970s level screws up bad enough that people say, maybe these guys don't know what they're doing. And then we rein them in. Uh, I think in order to actually go back, sort of wind the clock back pre-Nixon or pre-FDR and go back to gold, I think historically that generally takes some sort of a crisis, meaning hyperinflation.
0: Wow. Yeah. And I, I, I don't want that. <laughs> but uh, I guess mm-hmm. that, that probably would be the way to go. And that's that's really I was going to be my next question was, you know, what what do you think the likelihood? Same question, but with a re- return to the gold standard, I think you kind of answered it saying it's the same crisis. So if we go into hyperinflation and obviously people are starving and um, figurative maybe even liter- literally dying be- as a result of it, then that might prompt such a move to the gold standard.
4: Right. And we've got a couple of triggers on the horizon. Um, in normal times, you know, there's an Adam Smith line where some junior bureaucrat was talking about some terrible tariff policy or something. And Adam Smith said, my dear boy, there's a lot of ruin in a nation, meaning that when catastrophic policies hit, the people themselves respond. Uh, we are smart. We are resourceful. We make the best of it meaning that whatever horrible policies government puts on, typically, you know, most of the impact uh, we sort of control or we cancel out. Um, and so that, that is sort of the saving grace is that when the hard times come, um, people will largely protect themselves. Uh, I don't think it will be uh, a complete catastrophe but anyway, the the two most likely triggers I think that are on the horizon, you know, one of them is government debt, which is just absolutely hitting unsustainable levels. Uh where well we're at 32 trillion, we're looking at uh the Congressional Budget Office is projecting 50 trillion deficit. At some point it's just funny money. It's uh it's never ever going to get paid back. Uh, if markets believe that it's never going to get paid back, then guess what? The interest rates skyrocket. Uh, you know, you'd have to pay people very high rates, uh, to accept it at that point. Uh, and then the other big trigger is de-dollarization, right? So particularly the Biden administration has been very ham-handed in how it treats other countries. Uh, it's been scaring them off the dollar and, you know, meanwhile, you've got countries like China that have been very, very eager to help push countries off the dollar, uh, never interrupt your enemy when they're making a mistake. And from China's perspective, they're encouraging us to scare countries off the dollar. And so if that were to happen, right? we've, we've already seen the US lose about, or the US dollar lose about 8% of its market share in official reserves over the past year. If that continues, then you would start to see a flood of dollars coming back into the country. The thing to keep in mind is once you are a reserve currency, that means that the whole world uses your money. Right. right? So for example, if you're, if you're a rich person in Mexico, most of your um, money is held in us dollars. It's not held in Mexican pesos. You don't trust the Mexican peso. You hold a little bit for, you know, month to month expenses, but, Really, most of your savings are going to be parked in US dollars. And that's the case all over the world. It's the case in China, Egypt, Russia, everywhere. Now, that means that there's something like two to three times more dollars in existence than Americans need. Okay, most of those dollars are held by foreigners all over the world. There's, Mm. you know, six or seven billion foreigners who are not Americans, and they're all holding most of the dollars. So if they are scared off the dollar and those tens of trillions come flooding home, that is the catastrophic scenario. And that's part of the reason why uh, I've you know been so concerned about these de-dollarization moves by the Biden administration.
0: Wow. Well, I have a follow up on that, uh, as well as I want to talk a little bit about your piece on the manufacturing boom. So we're going to do that straight ahead. Folks, we're on with uh, Dr. Peter St. Angie's an economist with the Heritage Foundation. And um, if you want to join this conversation, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ.
7: This
2: is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night
0: with Rich Valdez. All right, America. And to the phones we go. We got Lance in Galloway, New Jersey, W O N D, with a question for Dr. Peter St. Ange, research fellow and economist at the Heritage Foundation. Lance, go right ahead. Hey, a uh,
8: gracious good evening. Uh, I, I just want to concur with you, Doctor, on your clarity in regards to the uh, challenges our commerce uh, is facing definitely hitting us. I just finished reading again uh, the uh, creature from Jekyll Island. And also, uh, I looked over uh, while I was listening to you. I I went on and saw the tragedy of the commons. And I think that's exactly where we are. And if they allow the banks and the Fed to do this, they're going to usurp all our freedom of choices when it comes to what we can purchase for our own personal consumption in our house. And they're doing that now by restricting the use of gas ranges, pizza ovens, EV cars, and all that. So I really, I think what you're, you are really creating a true compass rose in the direction that this Fed is truly trying to suffocate the people that want to enjoy the, the fruits
0: of their labor. Thank you, Lance. I appreciate it. Peter St.
4: That is an excellent point. And the green thing is centrally connected with this control uh, sort of overlay that they're trying to put on us. They want a permissioned economy. You know, when some, whenever we're doing something that they don't like, they'll go after the carbon footprint on it. Okay, and then when we're doing something they do like, then carbon footprints just vanish, right? So if it's billionaires flying off to Davos, magically those planes don't have carbon footprints, right? right? Uh, It's like with COVID, where people who were demonstrating a certain way were super spreaders. If they were doing it for another reason, they were God's children. And so really what they're trying to do is to put it in an economy where everything is forbidden, Unless it is politically approved, in which point it gets a carbon footprint pass. That's what they're trying to convert this green stuff into. They are using the earth as a, or the environment as a prop to impose a totalitarian control over the economy.
0: Yeah, it's a brilliant point. And when we talk about the economy, I, I want to pivot to Bidenomics and how, um, it's really serving the American American public so well in particular with <laughs> manufacturing jobs. Yeah. What's your thought?
4: It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. In manufacturing, we have this really weird pair of numbers where on the one hand, factory construction went up something like 50%. I mean, it just absolutely skyrocketed huge amount of money going into factory construction. On the other hand, we've had manufacturing output declining. It's been straight falling for about six months, going by PMI, which is measuring the intentions of people who buy manufactured products. Going by that, it's been falling by something like two and a half years. So we have you know, manufacturing falling, yet factories are leaping. Something doesn't match in that picture until you go to the Build Back Better plan. So that was the they renamed it the Inflation Reduction Act. Literally, right. you can find it in the congressional docket when they changed the name. It's completely uh, cynical. And what that bill did was handed hundreds of billion dollars to uh, green producers. And so they can set up these factories. I think a lot of, a lot of your listeners will remember Solyndra under Obama. Oh, boy. You know These sort of taxpayer fleeces. And they're always selling the green stuff because that gets the money flowing out of Washington. Uh, pulls it out of the taxpayer pockets and so they're plowing this money into factories uh who knows if these things are going to make money Ford just announced that they lost four and a half billion on evs wow. just last weekend the ford ceo jumped into one of these new electric uh, f-150s and he went for a road trip in california and he said um yeah no i was uh, surprised how challenging it is He's up at 10 p.m. sitting there charging his truck. You've got to be joking. That's crazy. Some road trip. Can you imagine taking the kids and you spend half the road trip charging the stinking truck? I can't imagine driving an
0: F-150 that's electric.
4: (laughs) (laughs) It's just not right. So, yeah, you know, if the factories are being built on their own, if these are actually, you know, metal machine shops in Wisconsin, then that's you know i'd i'd love to see that on the other hand if this is government mm-hmm. money plowed into cronies that is not announcing prosperity to come it is announcing taxpayer right. fleecing to come
0: folks we're on with dr peter saint-andre research fellow and economist at the heritage foundation discussing all things on the economy. When we come back, we're going to learn a little bit more about the work that Peter St. ange is doing at Heritage and how you could follow him and keep in touch with what he's doing. So don't go anywhere and don't move a muscle.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez.
7: All right,
0: and we go to the largest audience in late-night talk radio. Let's go to Kalispell, Montana, and check in with Kim very quickly.
9: Hi, thank you very much. Um, I, so I only own like, $7,000 in my bank. What should I do with it? Should I trust the bank's?
0: You're right. A lot of Americans are facing similar. And Peter St. Ange, what what is the best advice for Americans with, you know, a a few grand in the bank facing the current economic situation?
4: I think if you're looking at a couple thousand of the bank, you don't have to worry about the bank for now, uh, for the next uh, couple of years at least, because we do have FDIC. Uh, If a bank goes under, typically the way that it it gets handled is they'll have, it's generally a weekend workout, meaning that the bank closes on Friday just like normal, it is now bankrupt, it gets chopped up, sold off, other banks now buy it, the entire transaction is done on paper, you are never aware, um, if the bank is completely wound down and evaporated, then you get a check from the FDIC. Okay, so you are completely covered. You don't have to worry about the bank going down. Now, the the reason you don't have to worry is because the banks are being bailed out, so that's not necessarily a good thing in the abstract. But on a personal level, you don't have to worry about your money. Um, You know, one of the big issues recently has been that the uh, big bank accounts, over 200,000, traditionally they were the ones who had to worry as it should be because they should have been watching the bank in the first place. And they're now getting bailed out as well. So that's a, that's a separate question. And, you know, of course, the rich get taken right. care of. But on a personal level, I would not worry about banks.
0: Now, uh, Dr. Peter St. Ange, let everybody know what your website is, how they could keep in touch with you and follow the work that you're doing.
4: Sure. I've got a website at PeterStAnge.com. And I'm always on Twitter at... at- Prof. St. Ange, I do daily videos on the economy and freedom, so I hope uh, people give them a watch.
0: Excellent videos, by the way. I checked them out over the weekend, and I highly recommend them. Dr. Peter St. Ange, I want to thank you for your time and for joining us tonight. You're a scholar and a gentleman.
4: Thank you, Rich. It's been a joy. You bet.
0: Folks, more to come straight ahead. Don't miss it. We're coming right back. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And our phone number, if you want to join us on our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to give us a call, 833-482-5337, 8334-VALDEZ. And I want to jump into a, a couple of things here. Uh, because, of course, there's, there's been some um, missile launches in... Uh, North Korea that are questionable and we're going to get to that in a moment. But of course, there's always a level of unrest and there's always the the threat of communism. And I know some of you are listening, oh, there he goes with the red scare stuff. Yes, I'm a red scarer because we see it happening. And again, it doesn't mean today or all of a sudden overnight these things are happening, but these are things that take a generation to implement. And we see the threat of communism consistently rising all across the world, but mainly, and I don't mean in every place, but there are places where communism is afoot, right? Or at least communism or communist sympathetic thoughts, ideas, and governments that they they don't embrace liberty like this country once did. And that in and of itself can eventually become a threat here in the United States. <clears throat> so when you have, whether and not necessarily communism every time, but... Just totalitarian regimes and autocrats, they're out there. And this, to me, is, is definitely a cause for concern. So I want to talk a, a little bit about what's going on in Asia and uh, moreover globally so that we can have an understanding of what's going on in the world. And uh, to do that, I want to have a discussion with an advisor to the North Korea Freedom Coalition, Lawrence Peck. He specializes in uh, the uh, activities that are occurring from uh, North Korea and telling us what's going on and keeping us up to speed on what's going on there. Lawrence Peck, welcome to the program.
1: Hello, Rich. Thank you very much for having me again. It's a pleasure to be on you. I was on your show in a previous incarnation. I'm very pleased to be back.
0: Yes, sir. Matter of fact, I remember that well couple of years ago when i was on in new york same time slot actually i was on 10 to 1 a.m there and uh it was an excellent discussion so i want to get into that a little bit but tell us um briefly because i just saw this article i know that you're up to speed on everything that's going on there were some missile launches in uh north korea that are obviously raising some eyebrows what say you
1: yes they engage in these missile launches uh whenever uh, there's uh uh, good news from our side, or which they don't like, news which uh, the communists in general all over the world, including here in the U.S., don't like, which is, uh, in this particular case, increased cooperation and collaboration. Of the alliance between uh, the free nations of the U.S., South Korea, and Japan, because, as you know, many of your listeners know uh, uh, from the uh, news reports just last week, there was a big summit meeting in D.C. where uh, Korea's uh, conservative pro-U.S. president uh, came to meet with the Prime Minister of Japan and uh, and uh, our own president, uh, who have uh, have decided to form a much closer alliance because of the threat from North Korea and from. China. China and whenever uh, these kinds of uh, deterrence measures or alliance-building measures pop up, the North Koreans think they need to uh, kind of uh, stick their hand in the air and gain some attention by firing off some missiles, whether they're just uh, cruise missiles or whether they're uh, uh, test uh, satellite tests or things of that nature.
0: What is the implication of that? Because obviously, for years we've talked about you know Kim Jong Un, the son of Kim Jong Il, who's the, the the current dictator in. Um, in North Korea and how the the ability I mean what what some say for him to maintain his position of control he likes to flex whatever military might or lack thereof that he may have to create the appearance of might and you know continuing to censor all forms of media and keep people in the dark and I get it those are your typical uh despot moves but There's a reality if they team up with the Iranians or any other enemy of ours, China, whomever, uh, where they can arm these things and potentially reach places like Hawaii or the West Coast of our country. And this has always been a a perceived threat. It hasn't been a real one as of yet. But how real is that threat from your opinion? And moreover, is it something that we should uh, expect? Do you see it actually coming to fruition?
1: Well, it is a real threat, but uh, so far, just like their conventional threat, because they've got a million-man-plus army right on the border, uh, uh, forward uh, deployed, with uh, huge amounts of artillery and troops just uh, miles away from the South Korean capital of Seoul. And, of course, in addition, as you just referred to, we, they have the nukes, which can, from the latest reports I've seen, uh, not only reach our bases in the Pacific, such as in Guam and Hawaii, etc., but also uh, the mainland uh, U.S., at least the Western uh, portions of it. And uh, uh, they, uh, from time to time, will uh, boast of these and fire off tests and engage in these. And one of the reasons is that uh, they like to be appeased and they like to get goodies from uh, uh, both people uh, U.S. governments and South Korean governments, which in the past, under left-wing regimes, they did get from left-wing uh, administrations in the U.S. and from left-wing administrations in Seoul, to the tune of uh, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars and aid, which poured into them in the hope that their promises of denuclearization could be relied on, which obviously could not be relied on. Now, uh,
0: and I get that, and and I guess I. I... I hear you, and I just I, I, I don't know why. I, whether I believe it or I don't believe it, I'm on the fence here with uh, when especially when it comes to North Korea, because I feel like most of what they do is saber rattling. Most of what they do is posturing uh, so that they can maintain their own control. I don't see them as a real major player um in in Asia, but am I um underestimating Kim Jong-un and his um, ability or desire to hurt the United States?
1: Well, obviously, we're deterring them both by our troop presence in Korea and by our mm-hmm. network of, of uh, bases to uh, prevent them engaging in, in any kind of uh, Second Korean War style of aggression. But, you know, they are also a threat uh, in a twofold manner. One is a threat that they pose to South Korea in terms of their subversive efforts against the the South. Their United Front propaganda uh, type uh, activities against the South, they're spying. Every once in a while they will engage military provocation, sinking a South Korean warship, shelling a South Korean island uh, from time to time. And secondarily, there are the international criminal activities they're engaged in, which target the U.S., South Korea, and a variety of countries around the world, such as their cyber warfare, their stealing of, uh, of funds uh, through Bitcoin accounts, their hacking of, uh, of hospitals and government institutions. So that, that's uh, their, their international crime wave that they've been constantly and continuously engaged in. Plus, there's the constant uh, threat that they have uh, uh, against uh, South Korea, which sometimes flares up into actual uh,
0: shooting all right well uh i think the jury's still out for me but i I don't want to find out either folks we're on with lawrence peck and uh, lawrence peck is an advisor to the north korea korea excuse me freedom coalition and we're going to discuss what's going on in asia and as well as the rest of the globe and uh focusing on north korea and their activities as well and he's got a piece in newsweek that i want to discuss so we're going to do that straight ahead plus your calls if you want to weigh in on foreign policy give us a call 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
0: Welcome back. We continue our discussion on North Korea and what's going on in Asia as it um, pertains to relationships here in the United States and potential threats and whatnot. And our guest is Lawrence Peck. He's an advisor to the North Korea Freedom Coalition, and he's got a piece in Newsweek that I think is very interesting, and I wanted to kind of walk through it. Uh, Lawrence Peck, let's discuss your piece in Newsweek, North Korean Stooges Step Into the Light. Lawrence, back.
1: Yes, that's right. That was uh, in particular reference to the pro North Korean movement in the U.S. And uh, your listeners may be surprised to hear that there is such a movement. But just like uh, during the years that the Soviet Union existed, and now what we see with uh, pro China forces, uh, there are pro North Korean groups and activists no, just... in the U.S. Yeah. yeah continue. And uh, these groups uh, are of particular interest uh, and uh, worthy of uh, opposition and exposure because they're engaged in congressional lobbying, and they're engaged in congressional lobbying in support of uh, uh, a so-called peace on the Korean Peninsula Act. It's being sponsored by uh, about thirty three or thirty two um, democratic members of the house who are in the generally are on the very far left of their party, and uh, it calls for the u s to sign a no-preconditions peace treaty with North Korea, which has been a North Korean demand over many years, and to, and to provide a number of other uh, serious major concessions to the North without asking anything in return. And some of the far-left and uh, pro-North Korean groups have been lobbying in
6: support of this, of this particular bill.
0: Yeah, and this is, I think, um, obviously it's, it's, it's problematic. But to me, it's, it's a sign that there are larger problems afoot. You know, really, I'm going to use the word global, but I don't mean it in its natural sense, but more in the 50,000-foot uh, perspective sense. And, and these global problems, uh, they're centuries old, and it's, it's about power, and it's about you know being pro-people or pro-government or pro-dictatorship. And ultimately, when you have bills like this that are coming and going and whatever and whatnot— uh, those that support it are typically pro-liberty, and those that don't support it are somehow sympathetic uh, to these uh, totalitarian-type regimes. And in one way or another, uh, to 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 put it lightly. So I'm wondering, how does this? I know how it subsists in America and how it progresses, right? Uh, whether it's the the progressive movement in in America or the university system. That has really gone uh, pretty far to the left in in the last generation or two. But how is this being promoted uh, in Asia? Is it the same thing like in China with the Chinese Communist Party or is there more to it?
1: Well, uh, firstly, I'd like to say that uh, when I talk about the lobbying of Congress by these uh, pro-North Korean and uh, far-left groups, it's not a case uh, in in some instances of just uh, Americans exercising their God-given constitutional rights to lobby Congress and to uh, participate right. in the political process and make their views known. And the reason I say that is some of these pro-North activists, some of the leaders of the groups, have for years been in contact with, been meeting with, been collaborating with, North Korean intelligence agents here in the U.S., which are based at the U.N., because the North doesn't have diplomatic relations with us, but they have a U.N. mission. And at that mission, there's one particular individual from the United Front Department of the North Korean Workers Party, their ruling Communist Party. His job is to liaise with, to guide, to assist to be in contact with local pro-north korean forces in the US just like in the old days there were kgb agents stationed uh, mm-hmm. you know at the soviet embassy in dc and at the the soviet uh, un mission in, in new york so this is a actual, this whole lobbying effort does have national security implications not just uh, ideological or political implications
0: you know and i think you're hitting the nail on the head right these are propaganda efforts and in in my existence these true propaganda efforts from you know, pro-North Korea and pro-Soviet uh, when I was a kid, uh, and, and even now, even pro-Russia, right? While Russia claims to be a, um, you know, a democracy and it's not communist, uh, I, I, I'm not convinced, and nor do I think I will be, that Vladimir Putin's not a communist sympathizer and, and kind of rules as such in many ways. Uh, But, of course, on paper, it's, you know, there's still elections and whatnot. And the same way we have these types of charades that we see in China and other places. So I get it. It's a propaganda operation. And would you say that is the the main avenue that's being used for whether it's North Korea or whomever uh, of these totalitarian regimes to to advance their their standing in the United States?
1: Yes, in that respect, there are two uh, key points I'd like to make. And the first is that uh, you're absolutely right in the sense that these are what we used to call influence operations by these foreign powers to some degree because of those connections that I just mentioned to foreign uh, agents. And uh, they reflect, as you mentioned, some of the past experience we had with the Soviet Union, some of the current experiences we have with, uh, with uh, communist China uh, influence uh, operations. And uh, secondarily, I wanted to mention that uh, in your introduction to uh, bringing me on when you were discussing the issues of uh, internationally totalitarianism and domestically uh, pro-communist uh, elements, uh, I wanted to mention that in that little introduction, you actually paraphrased a recent speech by South Korea's uh, conservative pro-U.S. President Yoon, Yoon Sung-yeol, who was uh, just elected uh, uh, into office in uh, in uh, 2022, and he gave a speech a few days ago uh, before visiting the U.S. for that that major uh, summit, in which he said, uh, Our nation is a divided nation on the Korean Peninsula, and we face totalitarian threats uh, in the region, but we also internally face threats from pro-communist elements who often disguise themselves as being merely progressive. Uh, And he says that that is also a threat to democracy and a threat to our shared values of uh, human rights and uh, democracy and liberty and the rule of law.
0: Yeah, well, he's either an observer of American politics Or a listener to this program. Either way, I salute him. And Lawrence Peck, I want you to let everybody know, um, how do you think this, um, is this going to be like a tension to manage, as Andy Stanley says, where, you know, it's a problem that doesn't go away and we just have to kind of navigate, or do we see some sort of major change in the region?
1: Well, uh, in terms of uh, North Korea and China, really, it's really a process of turrets, the same uh, of the same nature that we had uh, uh, in terms of what we were doing in Europe for for many years with with NATO and our alliance uh, structures all over the world, in terms of. Uh, uh, ensuring that uh, in the case of uh, North Korea, that there's no aggression against the South. In the case of China, that there's no further uh, threats against their neighbors or uh, expansion into areas like the South China Sea. And uh, it's really uh, uh, a case of us... uh, uh, in true uh, Reaganite uh, fashion, uh, continuing to to support our allies and to maintain strong maintain strong alliances, because, for example, the troops that we have in North Korea I'm sorry in South Korea the troops we have in South mm-hmm. Korea that we've had there have been a stabilizing element and have really prevented uh, another war from breaking out in the Korean uh, Peninsula and. Uh, uh, of course, the pro-North Korean and leftist forces are are uh, calling for uh, us to pull out of uh, South Korea, just like some of the more extreme elements are calling for us to pull out of Hawaii and uh, and NATO. But uh, uh, that's really the key to it, to keep up a strong defense uh, and uh, operating on the basis of peace through strength.
0: Yeah, and uh, the Reagan mantra of peace through strength, I think, is, is one that we always have to hold on to. Um, or like other previous presidents have said, you know, walk quietly while holding a big stick. Lawrence Peck, um, tell us how we can keep up to speed with the work that you're doing, um, both your website and your uh, social media handles.
1: Well, uh, most of the work that I uh, do, that I have uh, published is actually in South Korea, among uh, both mainstream and conservative uh, uh, and media the there, because. But uh, no, my, my uh, work here is uh, mostly featured on uh, townhall.com, is some of it, and uh, jns.org. And uh, as you mentioned, as you alluded to, there was an article on Newsweek. But right. I just I usually don't want to am cut a, of a we out of time, writer.
0: Lawrence yeah. Peck. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Folks, there's more to come straight ahead. Check them out at townhall.com, jns.com, and we're coming right back. All right, America, welcome back. And the prioritization of military funding for abortions is really showing the Biden administration's hand uh, as in so much as their disregard for the well-being of our troops and, of course, for preborn children. And this is a story that, you know, it's, while it's been publicized a little bit, it's not nearly as, as spoken about as it probably should be. And I want to talk about it a bit because I think it's interesting. A, yes, I'm pro-life, but from a broader perspective of why is this the hill to die on? Why is this one of the top priorities? Like, whether it's the LBGTQ movement or IA+, plus the, uh, the, the drag queen shows that were be, uh, being held on military bases uh, or this issue or others, why is the focus on the American military so displaced from national security, a strong national defense, uh, having the best military we could possibly have. And I think this is, uh, for me, the fundamental question, why? Why is there such a strong defense for so many of these crazy policies? And to get to the bottom of it, we're bringing in our guest, Sean Carney. He's president of 40 Days for Life. Sean Carney, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Good to be on. You bet. So tell me a little bit about this, uh, because uh, when I heard about it, I thought, wow, that's really interesting that this would be uh, a a prioritized effort within the military providing um, uh, additional funding for abortions. Uh, That's the last thing. It's kind of like when Obama said that, you know, we were going to continue to to fund um, gender transition surgeries. I just again, another thing. It's the last thing you think you're going to hear from the military. Right, uh, maybe I'm the only guy that's thinking that, but uh what's the story here
5: yeah it's It's weird being the new normal when it comes to our federal government, and so when the answer is Roe was overturned and and that changed everything, so you had really three uh government agencies that started making abortion their primary goal when when Roe was overturned because. Roe was overturned during the most pro-abortion government we've ever had. Uh, And it was, of course, because the Supreme Court was in place to do it. And they didn't expect that. And so you have the FDA, uh, the DOJ, uh, and the military. Those three government entities, uh, which kind of live on their own islands and answer to no one, uh, just started dictating and expanding abortion. Uh, We certainly see it with the DOJ, with the targeting of of pro-life people. Uh, we see it with the FDA, which just overnight deregulated chemical abortions. And then now we see the military expanding abortion, paying for abortions of, of our service uh, women. And nobody was talking about that a year and a half ago, or three years ago, or five years ago. It would have been absurd. And everybody would be reacting the way that you're reacting. And the difference was Roe v. Wade was overturned, so we see now an overreach of power by these three government entities, and all of a sudden, uh, their point in their own mind is to expand abortion.
0: You know, and I think you're right, obviously the the overturning of Roe was was something that struck so many people in so many ways, uh, but you would one would think, and at least I like to think that. The military is somewhat above reproach when it comes to politics. And this is politics, right? You have pressures from um, the abortion lobby, Planned Parenthood, whoever uh, you know, supports this cause. And, and they start to apply political pressure uh, within, within the administrative state, within the executive branch, within the military. And that pressure has always been there. But it seems that it, 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 it exacerbated to this point where it's like they're doing something about it. And I just find it so striking that politics has taken such a role in the American military, uh, especially on an issue like this, that I feel like it's, it's just how often do we even need abortions in the military? And again, maybe that's the broader problem that I'm not aware of, that there's a whole lot of uh, pregnancy occurring in the military, and maybe that's my naivete. What do you know about that?
5: Yeah, our experience with abortion in the military, there most military bases, it's kind of dark. (laughs) Most military bases have an abortion facility near them. And they also have a a free medical pregnancy center near them. In Fort Hood, where I live in in Texas, um, the abortion facility ended up closing and it had a pregnancy center next door. But the majority, whether you're in in Watertown, New York, or Fort Hood or anywhere, uh, the majority of these abortion facilities will tell you and the local pregnancy centers will tell you that it, it's not the people in the military getting abortions. It's typically the result of, of an affair when, when a serviceman is, is overseas uh, fighting and the woman gets pregnant uh, with another man and, and wants to kind of get rid of the problem, uh, so to speak. And those are the majority of the abortions. Now, we only know that because we work with those women uh, and you know try to get them to choose life and that life will move on. But that's when military and abortions are connected, that's the connection. Um, It's not that you have a woman who's saying, "I I need you to pay for my flight because you stationed me in Alabama and I'm gonna go to San Diego to have my abortion and you're gonna pay for it. That would have been absurd a year and a half ago. And that's why the military is just fabricating this problem or this issue so that they can talk about it and so that they can kind of show that they're above Roe v. Wade. Because you're right. Um, they weren't talking about it. The military is above it. And, and now they, you know, it, it's this, it's just kind of become a sacrament for them.
0: Unbelievable. Folks, we're on with Sean Carney. He's the president of 40 Days for Life and discussing the, the prioritization of military funding for abortions. And, again, something that I didn't think was a thing, but it apparently a, a thing. It's a very real thing. So we're going to continue our discussion on life and other things that Sean Carney is working on straight ahead. If you have a question or a comment, you want to join the conversation, feel free. 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDEZ.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833 833- for Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
0: Returning of uh, the bad law known as Roe v. Wade, Republicans in Indiana put together a pro-life uh, policy, which became legislation, and Planned Parenthood sued them, and this went to the Supreme Court, them saying, no, um, we're going to uphold those pro-life policies and, and strike down any rehearing of this in a 4-1 decision. And so now the pro-life policies in Indiana are set to go into effect, uh, I guess, at the end of the uh, fiscal year, June 30, uh, the upcoming fiscal year. And that's news that's coming out of Indianapolis now. Our guest is the president of 40 Days for Life, Sean Carney. Welcome back. What's your thought on this uh, big victory for life in Indiana?
5: Well, it's 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 awesome. Number one, but it's also a reflection of what we're seeing state to state. I mean, Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry had a had a plan basically when Roe was overturned, which they didn't expect. But but so they rolled out this plan to go state to state and get abortion uh, in all of the the constitutions of of these states and just make it permanent law in the states. But what they didn't realize is the pro-life movement was more prepared for the overturning of Roe. We had a number of trigger laws that went into effect banning abortion. Right now, there's essentially 23 states uh, that are essentially abortion-free, um, which is a phenomenal number, know half our country. Um, and so Indiana is another example of that, of where they weren't embarrassed that Dobbs overturned Roe v. Wade, that... You know, uh, this was sent back to the states. It should be decided by uh, the states. Eventually, I think we will have a federal law because we're not going to make it in a schizophrenic country where you have no rights as a human being in California. You're not a person. Uh, And you are legally protected under the law in Texas and in Florida and in Tennessee. We did this the last time. that Our Supreme Court dehumanized an entire segment of our population, and it didn't work. Uh, the free free, free states and slave states didn't work, and, and I think abortion-free states and, and pro-abortion states won't work. In the long run, we will fix our schizophrenia. But for now, we're having these states, and they're battling to support um, the overturning of Roe v. Wade and give more of their citizens, the dignity and the respect and the protection under the law that they deserve. So I think it's awesome in Indiana. Um, We see a number of laws uh, throughout states that are surprising, Wisconsin being one uh, with abortions illegal in Wisconsin right now. They're fighting that, but that's phenomenal. Um, So it's not just states that you would assume are red and conservative. It's states that that have good pro life laws and, and aren't necessarily a very conservative states
0: what type of pushback are you getting from from individuals on this cuz i think even there's a number of pro lifers that i've met that say look I, i'm i'm not pro abortion in any way however you know they they make the rape and incest uh, exceptions and uh, some of these laws have been in some cases falsely um portrayed in the media as such But in in some cases, um, you know, like you're saying, a a full ban on abortion and these these rare instances where people are, you know, forced to go to another state and whatnot. Um, What type of pushback are you getting from from people that are pro-life or even people that are pro-choice, but lean pro-life, if if you will, if that's a thing, uh, on the extent of some of these uh, new regulations?
6: Well, I I think there's there's
5: two ways to look at it. Number one uh, the politicians that are owning robing overturned win the Republicans, uh, mm-hmm. you see Kemp, you saw DeSantis, they did great in the midterms. Greg Abbott, my governor here in Texas, unbelievable pro-life governor, did great, did great, won in a landslide. And then the the wussies, I guess we can call them, <laughs> use that sophisticated term, who are just scared. They were like, they overturned Ruby Wade, what do I do when abortion comes up? Uh, they're not owning it. And I think that, you know, obviously cases like rape and incest, we deal with a lot of rape victims. We deal with a lot of underage rape victims, and I don't think it's healthy when we fall into the myth that somehow abortion as a surgery is designed to heal you from a rape. Uh, It's not, and all you have to do is talk to the women who— who were raped and who had an abortion and then talk to the women who were raped and, and who uh, gave their child up for adoption, which most of the minors do, the, the rape victims, they give their, their child up for adoption. But uh, you know, nobody has exploited rape victims more than the abortion industry in our country over the last fifty years. And it's shameful. And they don't work with rape victims. You know, we do. We we look at them in the eye and the the last thing they need is to be strapped to a table and and, and have an abortion. Um, I think one of the most powerful things any rape victim has ever told me was that it created two anniversaries for her. Uh, they always remember the date of their rape and they always remember the date of their abortion. And now one reminds them of the other. Mm. And the, something I would have never thought about as a man. Um, right. And. And then the women that choose life, there is that, uh, that, that hope and that, that light at the end of the tunnel that all life gives us when, when they are reminded of their rape and that, that a family – sometimes they keep their baby and raise him or her. But if they give, give him or her up for adoption, that a family is raising that child. And um, we, had, we had one rape victim say she was being pressured to have an abortion by her own shameful father. And he said, she's not going to raise that rapist baby. And she stood up for herself and she said, it's not his baby. He forfeited his rights over his child when he, you know, uh, committed that heinous act and and she chose life. So I think sometimes it's easy for pro-lifers to be like, oh, yeah, rape, rape. Yeah, we'll just give that up. But they're actually not thinking about the people involved. And they're also not calling out the other side for saying – this is what you're doing. You're parading around 14-year-old rape victims so that you can have an abortion on demand at 40 weeks. Should be ashamed sh- of yourself.
0: Folks, stick with us. We're coming right back with Sean Carney, president of 40 Days for Life. 40daysforlife.com is the website. And uh, we continue that discussion as well as your calls, 833-482-5337, 4 valdez
2: This is America at Night, with Rich Valdez. America at Night, with Rich Valdez.
0: All right, America, welcome back. Our guest, Sean Carney, the president of 40 Days for Life. And we're discussing um, the latest in what's going on with um, the pro-life movement and the abortion industry across the country. And this has always been the the crux, right, the fundamental crux, whether it's pro-choice, pro-life. And, you know, in recent years, they've attached political parties to it, you know, so... I'm looking at just one headline just to share with you. Abortion, the Republican plan to trick Americans into voting against it. (laughs) And they'll give you every last bit of of information that they have. Uh, New York Times, right? That was Slate Magazine. Listen to the New York Times. Opinion piece, right? So it's an op-ed. GOP candidates don't want to talk about abortion. And that part I get. Uh, Those are uh, like, I think, uh, Sean Connery pointed out the wussy Republicans, right, that don't want to have the discussion. I'm willing to have the discussion while I realize my shortcomings. You know, I've never been a woman. But I think the the fundamental uh, point of the argument here is is life. And, And choosing life has nothing to do with one being a woman or not, whether or not you what you choose to do with your body is your choice as a as a human as a male or a female. However, when it involves another life, is where it becomes very murky for other people, and and I think that's the fundamental difference. The court has now ruled that the the basis of Roe versus Wade uh, was declared unconstitutional because it didn't make sense as as a as a as a a court case, and and I get that, but it hasn't stopped the fight from continuing, Sean Carney.
5: No, and we've just seen through 40 Days for Life our efforts. Uh, we've gained volunteers. We've gained cities. We've gained locations. We've grown uh, in a post-Roe America, and it's because uh, the pro-life movement, and I, this was very well articulated by, by a pro-choice woman. Um, the day that the Dobbs decision overturned Roe, I, I turned on the news, and the first person I saw was this lady and. She had marched for Reproductive Rights. She was still pro-choice today, and she said, we knew this day was coming because over time, decade after decade, the pro-life side became the pro-woman side. It became the pro-science side, Um, and it became the compassionate side because they had free medical help and free pregnancy centers, and there was just no way for the abortion movement to combat that. Um, we could say we disagree with you, and women deserve reproductive rights and all that, but she said we had no depth, and they had depth. They backed it up, and we we couldn't talk about the unborn child. We hated ultrasounds. They embraced ultrasounds. They they gave them out for free, and I thought it was a very good point, and, and that's why we see these trends uh, in any cultural movement, but especially regarding abortion where you had like the baby boomers who marched for reproductive rights and then ended up becoming accountants and voting for Reagan. And as they got older, became more pro-life. And their kids, the millennials, became uh, more pro-life. And now Generation Z, at their age, is the most pro-life generation ever at their age. They accept everything else in the world, uh, but they're very pro-life because they probably have a picture of their own ultrasound. And so I think it's it's hard to detach the humanity of of the unborn in 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 twenty twenty three. And and that's you know, that's why they overturned Roe v. Wade. It was based on bad science in nineteen seventy three. And that's just, you know, a, a fact. And I think that's one of the reasons why over time we'll see more states want to end abortion and want to mm-hmm. end it for the right reasons.
0: Sean Carney, let everybody that's listening know how they can learn more about uh, your work.
5: But so We have a free podcast. Uh, if you go to 40daysforlife.com, it's the number 40, 40daysforlife.com. We're in 1,600 cities in 64 countries around the world. We yeah. have a podcast. We have a quarterly magazine. Oh, let me there.
0: remind them of the website, 40 Days for Life. Sean Carney is their president. Thank you for being with us. I appreciate it. Folks, there's more to come straight ahead. Don't move a muscle.
2: Live from the city that never sleeps.
0: Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be here with you Monday night and the phone number. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, give me a call. 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. And I opened up the show in hour number one talking about Joe El Baboso Biden and how... uh, his commentary on being in Maui and, in my opinion, his lack of empathy. Uh, but he was expected to face criticism, um, and this was reported by the media as well as others with respect to what's going on in Maui, and in particular with the destruction in um, Lahaina. And it, it's, it's lamentable, really. This stuff is pretty, um, it's really sad. And I I don't want to, you know, be um, critiqued or accused of politicizing this. It's not my intention. It's really my critique of Biden and his response to this catastrophe. But I'm not the only one. All right. So we're going to talk about that maybe at the at the bottom of the hour a little bit. um, This reaction to Joe Biden in Maui. So if you have any calls on that, feel free to give us a call. Uh, on any of our phone lines, the um, 8334 Valdez or the Legacy line 86650 Jimbo that's always around. And I want to um, switch gears, though, and I want to go into something a little different because, you know, there's, there's so much going on in the news today. And one of the things that came to mind that I found very interesting was this story in CNBC where american workers are demanding almost $80,000 a year to take a new job. Now again, um demanding, requesting, requiring, whatever word you want to use. Where i live, this can can get you by, or at least a couple of years ago get you by well. Uh now it it just gets you by, i think. And i'm talking about even if like you were a single person. If you're a single person, you could probably be okay. But with rent, i don't know. Rents, i think like Three grand or twenty five hundred, between $2,500 three grand for just about anything you could find. And if if you're single, maybe you'll, you'll need to take on roommates because there's no other way to get around it. If you have children and you have your own place, I think that's you know what you would pay for uh, an apartment. If you're buying a home, uh, I guess a fixer upper might cost you in the area of a half mil, going up to like you know three quarters of a million dollars. that's like the North Jersey market. And there's plenty of stuff that's, you know, seven, eight, uh, really high, you know, um, getting toward that million dollar mark, which makes you think, how does one survive in, you know, in the immediate New York City area, northern New Jersey? I don't know. I don't know how how anybody could stay here for long, which is why places like Florida and Tennessee and and others, uh, Texas, you know, where there's this explosive growth, but some of the key points from this article uh, in MSNBC, it says the amount of money most workers now want to accept a job has reached a record high this year. And this is pretty interesting. Employers have been trying to keep pace with the wage demands, pushing the average full time offer up to 69,475. That's a 14 percent surge over last year. Now, one might think, man, this is great. They're creating new jobs and they're 14 percent more than last year. Please keep in mind that inflation by the government's count is 16.3%, right? Or 16.8. It was 16 point something. Uh, Feel free to fact check that. If you've got inflation of 16% and wages have gone up by 14%, is it really a surge if it's not even keeping pace with inflation? Of course not. That means you're still 2% on what you spent last year. Even if you get a raise, that's 14%. And who's getting a 14% raise? Right. So if you get this 14.3% raise, you're, you're still not keeping pace. You're just, you're just not there. So the numbers are significant in that wages uh, are increasing, And this has been, uh, of course, a driving force in inflation. This is according to the article. So my thinking is, this is problematic because when you look at the global wealth overall, right now, switching to uh, a piece in the Epic Times, listen to the headline. Global wealth drops for first time since 2008 financial crisis. Wow. Now, this is according to the Global Wealth Report 2023, published uh, a few days ago by Credit Suisse and United Bank of Switzerland, UBS. So they're reporting that the total private wealth globally has declined by 2.4 percent or by 11.3 trillion dollars. So if people if trillions of dollars have been lost and overall people are less rich and whether it's extremely wealthy people losing money. Uh, I don't think it's extremely poor people losing money because they don't have any money to lose. But whatever the case is, people are losing money. And I'm, pro- I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I'm sure this n- is negatively affecting uh, middle-income earners. So if wealth, and this is, again, the report, wealth per adult fell 3.6% or $3,198, so just shy of 3200 bucks. So you tell me, how does one live? Like, how does this even happen? I I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you how we're we're giving a 14.3% raise when inflation's over 16% by the government's count and on certain items going into the 20s and 30s. So what gives? I don't know. I don't know what gives. I can just tell you that it doesn't really matter if you get a 14% raise. Because you, you can't keep up with inflation at that, at that rate. And this to me, is, is a problem. Now you compare that with the previous economy, or at least under the previous administration, pre-COVID, and I think household, uh, median household incomes were up 6,500 bucks. That's since dissipated, and I don't think there's even a net gain there anymore. So when I see these articles and I think, my goodness, you know people are demanding 80 grand, of course they're demanding 80 grand a year. Why wouldn't they demand eighty grand a year? How on earth can you survive with anything less? Now, if you're listening to this and you're like, "Well, you know what? I support my entire family. I'm making, you know, between forty and sixty-five thousand, or something like that." Amen, and God bless you. And I'm hoping that you live in a part of the country where you can do that. Even in Pennsylvania, there's places where you could pull that off. But if you're in one of the big major hubs—New York City, Miami, Chicago, Los Angeles, San uh, Diego—these are extraordinarily expensive places to live. And I just don't see how people can, can really survive uh, off of what they're even, you know, barely on, on what they're asking for. So, I don't know. Interested in hearing your thoughts on this. And if you think it's phony baloney, if it's the real deal, if it's fake phony fraud or not, you let me know. Give me a call, 833-482-5337, valdez This
2: is America at Night. is rich valdez call now 833-4valdez that's 833-482-5337 833-4valdez that's valdez with an s
0: all right america welcome back looking forward to speaking with you I mean, yeah, give us a call 833-482-5337 and we kicked off the show talking about the economy and central bank digital currencies and the dangers that those pose, as well as um, how it happens and the mechanics of it. If you missed those interviews, go to our website and check it out, richvaldesamericaatnight.com richvaldesamericaatnight.com is the website. I hope you uh, have a chance to go there. You can listen to any show that's already been archived, and they usually get archived about an hour after we go off the air. So uh, definitely check that out. And... We um, Again, we talked about Korea, we talked about uh, the global threat coming from all of these Asian actors as well as their participation with other bad actors that are anti-American, and we talked about the uh, news that broke a little while ago on Indiana uh, where the Supreme Court upheld their, um, their right to, um, to limit abortions in the state of Indiana saying it did not violate their state constitution. So lots that are, that's on the table. Of course, we're open phone America here, so you're able to call in on anything you want. And I see that we have a couple of people on hold. I just wanted to uh, reiterate what some of the topics were because I think um, they're worthy of additional discussion. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you on that stuff. Let's go to uh, Jamestown, New York, WJTN, and check in with Derek. Derek, what's up? You're on with Rich Valdesk. Welcome.
6: Hey, once again, Rich. It's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. The Likewise. number one, per- yeah, the number one person you want to be in communication with is the Honorable Louis Farrakhan.
0: And what's so honorable be- about Louis Farrakhan? Um,
6: you should know because you're from New Jersey, and remember Neptune, New Jersey. The 5% nation, probably a lot of your relatives, was exposed and got a lot of supreme wisdom from them. So, well, I do
0: have some uh, friends that were 5%ers, uh, but they, they all became 5%ers when they were in jail. And then when they came out of jail, they realized that that wasn't the move for them, so they gave up on the Nation of Islam. But some some maintained. But that's the that's the extent of what I know.
6: Yeah, well— you need to be in touch with him. He's a wonderful person. He's the most powerful person on the planet. Well, he's the number one man. I
0: would say I, I don't think that he has the keys to the nuclear missile arsenal where you can destroy the planet. I would say probably the president of uh, the United States is probably the most powerful person on the planet, arguably. But um, when you said he's a wonderful person, I I, I couldn't label wonderful somebody who has labeled Israel as Satan and and says horrible things about Jews. How could we call him wonderful? Well, the,
6: when he quotes Jews, he quotes from Jewish rabbis. A lot of rabbis write books, and they he quotes from them. Oh,
7: so says, if I quote
6: so he,
0: racists, I am somehow not a racist, and I can still be called wonderful?
6: Well, racist is just a word.
0: <laughs> All right, let sure. me rephrase. Let's say I quote from someone that writes about how a certain race, you pick the race, should be eliminated. Let's say I quote from Hitler and I say that Hitler, uh, you know, Hitler said this and this is and blah, blah, blah. And I I preach to the masses in my movement that it's, it's calling for the extermination of Jews. After quoting Hitler, should I then be called wonderful if it's something I believe in?
6: Well, that's the that's the beauty of freedom, because once they expose themselves, then we got the job to correct them. Well,
0: hundred percent. Correct- I, I don't disagree with what you're saying, Derek, in terms of, of you know, if, if there is a Hitler out there, if there is a racist, if there is a Farrakhan, it is a, uh, on us to be informed patriots, to know what's going on in our country, to know what's going on in society, to understand what's what and what's not and and call it out. And that's the reason we're having this conversation, because you're telling me that the Honorable Louis Farrakhan is a wonderful person. And in so much as I know about Farrakhan, I don't think I could use the word honorable, um, and I don't think I could use the word wonderful. So that's why I was asking.
6: Yes, well, because you don't know him, and that's that's pretty sad, because you should Definitely.
0: Well, what I know, know about him isn't very good, uh, but I am willing to interview the guy to get to know a little more about him and see what he has to say. But anyway, what is it that he um, he brings to the table that you want to highlight tonight? Well, this is what I
6: wanted to say on the abortion, because you had the, the dude on there that yes. has the title book 40 something, 40 what?
0: President of 40 Days for Life, Sean Carney.
6: Right. Now, when we hit at 40, OK, that's right there because they never did the 40 acres in a mule, you see. So mm. that right there. See, and so people like that, you know, and loving America and America's so
0: beautiful. I don't know what this, what dream. Well, don't you is love America and think it's beautiful, Derek? The hell no. Well, why are you here, though? Don't you have an opportunity to go somewhere else, a better country that would serve you better? She's a whore, she's a prostitute, and she's a murderer. What keeps you in this whorish uh, prostitute of a nation? What? what? What keeps you here? What keeps me here is
6: I can't move right now the way I want to, okay? But as soon as I can... Well, let I'm me ask you this.
0: Either. Would you be open to the audience donating money to you to, to relocate to another country? Because I know a lot of Americans that are very generous, and I know that if, if they knew that there was somebody that needed their help to leave this country because they thought that this was a, a horish prostitute of a nation, I think they would put their hands very deep in their pocket to get you the resources that you need so you could go to a better place. Where would you like to go?
6: I told you back to the motherland. Okay. Where? Now, well, first, it's
0: a big continent, Africa. Where? First of all,
6: first of all, there's five cities in the United States that's going to be preserved, and that's why you want to talk to Faroukai. They're okay. going to be preserved. They're not. But well, let's to go be back touched. to what
0: country you'd like to relocate to. I told you the motherland, Africa. Yeah, it's a continent with many countries on it. Which country in particular?
6: Okay, North Africa, to be specific. So like Cameroon or or the Ivory Coast? No, 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 no. What I would like to do is go to Mecca, okay, Arabia, okay, where um, Mecca and Medina is. Okay, yes. it's, it's one of the world's largest peninsulas, but that's the cradle of civilization. That's the base right there, the fertile crescent with my people. The problem that the black and brown people make is we keep going to Whitey for money. See, which mm-hmm. you're going to him for a paycheck, that's where he knows he got your ass because you're supposed to be with your people, uniting entrepreneurship and making jobs for your family, rich. You're going to have to get from behind that mic, front of the mic,
7: mm-hmm.
6: and stop looking for a paycheck from the Caucasian.
0: Now, I, I, this is a, a good one, though. Um, so w- what makes you think? I, I work for a company that has a whole bunch of different people. but you're, So you're saying that it's, it's the white man that employs me, and because they employ me, I, I say things a certain way?
6: No, nope, I'm not saying, I'm, I'm, I'm taking nothing from you, Rich. You're you're, you're wonderful, you're a beautiful person, dude. Oh, you. you. What you was given from the creator is, is phenomenal, we all. Okay, what happened on the way to Grandma's house is another story.
0: Derek, I, like always, people that disagree, they get the most time on this show. I've had you on longer than I have most guests on, actually. Seven minutes, 22 seconds. Uh, You made a lot of points. Hopefully, we'll talk again soon. I appreciate it. The music means they're kicking us out, but we're coming back to your calls and more. Plus, if we do have a GoFundMe, help him go back to the motherland. We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. Your calls momentarily, 833 482 valdez So I just had a conversation. I, I, I kept my cool. I was, you know, opening up a couple of buttons on my shirt because I was getting a little hot under the collar, but I tried to maintain my composure because this was interesting, this conversation, right? And when I say things like the hate America left, I really mean that, right? These are people that hate America. They're left-leaning in their policies, and they hate this country. And if that wasn't proof of a nice man, right, Derek in New York, very nice man. I think he's a nice man. I think he hates America, but I think he's a nice man. He was respectful to me. He paid me a compliment. But fundamentally, our view of this country is skewed. It's different. These divergent views. uh, And again, he's free to believe that. That's what the liberty we have in this country allows us to do. However, when I talk about folks that hate this country, they, there are people that hate the country, and, and it really does exist, and it reminds me of a, a party I went to about a month ago. Actually, it's a month ago on Wednesday, and in going to this, this party, and again, it was my, my friends who run the Cuban place, that they sold the place to a, to a new family uh, from Ecuador that's operating this restaurant now, but... At that event, or right before it, one of their other customers that's a regular there was telling me a story about him growing up in Cuba and how his cousin and him had some friction for a while because of something that happened. And we were talking about all sorts of things. It went from fishing to hunting to this story. And he says, look, he says, you know, when you're growing up in Cuba, there's, there's very limited food. There's scarcity. You have to learn how to do with less. And in this particular story, he talks about how he's like, you know, we would catch whatever we could catch in the woods, rabbits, this, that, you name it. I skinned them and I've cooked them all. And he says, one time we were really hungry. There was no chicken. There was no anything. We didn't have anything else to to cook. And I was hungry with some of my friends. So I decided I know what I was going to get. And I don't know, I I think there was an issue with, like, feral cats. But he ended up catching, skinning, and cooking a cat. And he knew very well that this cat was not a feral cat, right? It wasn't a stray or, or, you know, this was a cat that belonged to someone he knew. It was his cousin's cat. And his cousin began to ask him, have you seen my cat? Have you seen my cat? And he ignored her, and ignored her, because she lived in the house right behind his. And he said, finally she came to me, and she said, I don't understand. The cat always comes back, and all of a sudden I can't find the cat. And he says, listen to me, and listen good. Were you hungry last Thursday? And she said, yes, I was. And he said, that meal that I prepared for us, that was your cat. Now leave me alone. And There was a degree of humor to it at the moment. A lot of people laughed the way he told the story. But as I thought of it, I thought, wow, they're eating cats. That's freaking sad. And B, imagine that life. Imagine a life where you've got to cook your cousin's cat, who happens to be your neighbor, in order to have a meal that day. Shocking, right? Just absolutely shocking. And then we have folks that call in and hate this country, right? So that's why I am uh, maybe one day going to set up a a little GoFundMe or some sort of telethon where we donate to get guys like Derek the chance to go to Saudi Arabia, to Mecca, or to Africa, where else he wanted to go, and, and give them an opportunity to experience life somewhere else. Because, you know, I think Trump said it best, you know, if you don't like America, get out. And I don't mean to be rude. And I hope Derek calls back another time and we have more conversations. And I hope that he'll come to his senses and realize you can't just, you know, um, kick the golden calf in the face, right? I mean, everybody here lives the life that we live, whether it's a good one or a rough one or otherwise. They do it because of America. And we're not eating cats, right? At least I'm not, and I don't know anyone who is leave the restaurant jokes aside so that's just my thought and I wanted to share that with you because man it's just it's really disheartening to me to know that there are people that are that adamant this is a little beyond a disagreement people that are just that adamant in in and that passionate in their opposition to the country their hatred for this nation and it's just it's uh, just fascinating to me anyway let us continue our conversation with our callers Let's go to Shields, Michigan, listening on KDKA online. Kim, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
9: Hi, Rich. You were more than fair with that hateful racist guy. Um, Did you hear how many times he he hated white people in particular I mean, mm-hmm. th- this is what the other side breeds. The commie on the other side, they breed people like Derek that the go hate through America their crowd. life. Want the hate America crowd, the go through your life wanting handouts and reparations and freebies and this and that. They breed these people. These are the same people. Derek is... I don't know that he himself, but he's the same type that loots the Gucci and 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 robs people and you know uh, carjacks and and then he I say he and Ilhan Omar should be seatmates on the way back to Somalia, but what what I called about and mainly if, because if she I also
0: hates America and has been vocal about
9: uh, it. Oh yeah, and the other one from Michigan that. Uh, of Rashida Muslim Talib. one. Yeah, from yeah, thank you. She's disgusting too. Um yeah, if I had time I'd like to talk about the digital money. Is that okay?
0: Yeah, the central bank digital currency. We talked about that a little while ago. What's on your mind?
9: Yeah. Um people on my side our side conservatives don't want anything to do with digital money China has digital money they have uh, they keep track of everything you do people carry a phone not for fun not to look at stuff they're, they're they have social con- uh, uh, scores social scores over there yes. and if you they walk yeah, thank you. Again, you helped me come with, with the word. Um, yeah, and they're the type of country that has digital money where they keep track of everything and they take it away from you just like that. If you jaywalk, if you didn't, um, do whatever they think you should have done, if you, uh, you know, whatever, they take it away from you. And that's what the ones on the other side here, and around the world want to do. They want to take everything away from us. What do you think?
0: I don't don't know if it's, it's taking it away in so much as, and I guess that's probably an ultimate goal. You're probably, um, accurate there, but I think it's really control. It's okay for you to have money. It's okay for you to participate in capitalism. It's okay for you to do all sorts of things as long as we can control the levers of power, right? Um, that's the British, the levers, I say levers. Uh, But in reality, that's, I think, what it's really all about. They want to be able to say, look, you can do whatever you want, but if you want to buy an airline ticket and go to New Orleans, well, you're not allowed to do that because you haven't upgraded your stove yet. You still have a gas stove. And the gas range is really bad for the environment. It causes all sorts of diseases, we we now believe. So we're going to withhold your ability to travel beyond, you know, one state in either direction. Uh, no multi-state travel. And these are the types of things that they do in China. And I could see things like that happening here uh, because you you are – it's basically a digital new-age segregation based on what they want you to do politically or socially. And I could see them targeting parents uh, who are pro-school choice. I could see them uh, targeting pro-life advocates. I could see so many people getting targeted. Uh, for, for a million different things, because we see those same people targeted now in many different ways. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. I think it's about, ultimately, it's about control, and that control, definitely, I mean, if you can't use your money, who's going to use it? If you can't take your money out of a bank, who gets to keep it, right? So I think you're you're right, but I think it's, it's bigger than that. It's really about control, ultimately. Kim, great um, question. I appreciate that. Folks, we're going to come right back to your calls and more straight ahead. Plus, I want to touch on... Uh, divorce a little bit. There's been some stories on divorce in the news over the weekend and I want to touch on those. Don't go anywhere.
2: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now 833-4VALDEZ That's 833-482-5337 833-4VALDEZ That's Valdez with an S
5: Uh, by the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations.
6: It's always nice to check. I like to see, <laughs> even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing. Are
10: people listening, right? That's you But right. you're, you're doing great.
2: America at Night with Rich Valdez.
0: All right, America, welcome back. We continue with your calls and more. 833-482-5337. 833-4valdez is the phone number. Or you can take pot shots at me online At any of the social media sites, I'm at Rich Valdez with an S at the end. Now, I want to talk about this story that was in the news, and it's Britney Spears getting divorced. Now I know you're thinking, come on, Rich, really? How do I really care about Britney Spears getting divorced? I know you don't, uh, but I want to talk about that because really what I want to talk about is divorce. And this is a little humorous because somebody sent me something from social media, and I thought it was funny. Listen to this. It discusses uh, the a senior citizen and a brand new car that he bought. And he bought a new Corvette, a convertible Corvette straight out of the dealership. And he pulls out of the dealership. He's taken off down the road. He floors it to 80 miles an hour. He's enjoying the wind blowing through whatever little gray hair he has left on his head. And he's thinking, this is amazing as he's flying down the interstate, pushing the pedal to the metal. He's looking in his rearview mirror, and he sees a state trooper behind him. The lights are flashing. The sirens are blaring. He floors it to 100, then 110, then 120 miles an hour. Suddenly, he thinks, what am I doing? I'm too old for this. He pulls over, and he waits for the trooper to pull up behind him. Pulling in behind him, the trooper walks over to the Corvette, looks at his watch, and says, sir, my shift ends in 30 minutes. Today's Friday. If you can give me a reason for speeding that I've never heard before, I'll let you go. The gentleman paused, and he says, years ago, my wife ran off with a state trooper, and I thought you were trying to bring her back to me. (laughs) The trooper replied, good day, sir, and he went on his way. And I read that, and I thought, man, this is pretty funny. Um, But divorce isn't really something that's funny, right? Of course, uh, divorce is uh, devastating to, to many people. For many years, it has a lot of repercussions. But it is, uh, it is funny. And I know we talked about this the other day, about gray divorce, about people um, you know over 60 or over 50 getting divorced. And I'm looking at Britney Spears, who's had no luck in love. This uh, poor woman, you know, despite all the money she's got, her husband's leaving her. Uh, his name, Sam Ashgari, filing uh, for the first time. Uh, this news of the divorce came out. I think on a Friday it came out, and and it just makes me think how how difficult must it be to live with Britney Spears that you'd want to get rid of? I mean, she's a fairly attractive person. She's a very successful person. Um, you know, I, I just I would I would think that she'd have um, you know her pick of the litter, and not that she'd be on these multiple marriages. So I'm just uh, interested in that. Uh, but anyway, let's go to Paul. Paul's in Zanesville, Ohio. Paul, what do you think about Britney Spears?
10: Well, Rich, uh, you're talking to a man that's been married for 35 years, been with the same woman for 45 years. We was high school sweethearts. So I'm not getting into that divorce realm. We've already decided that, no, nah, we're not going to do that. We've almost got our home paid off. We're just going to stick to that route. You know, we get, we get upset with each other now and then, but we get over it. But... um I would like to talk about that gentleman that called in that hates the United States so much. You know what? Mm. He ought to have a conversation with Brittany Griner. You know, (laughs) maybe she can enlighten him a little bit. This is the best country we got going. My grandfather, who was a World War II veteran in the Navy, um, said it the best when he said, we got the best country going. And um, I've always remembered that, you know, if you don't like America, get out. And I might, you know, go ahead and throw a few dollars at that guy if he wants to go. And then I haven't comment, but I'd like your comment on that.
0: Well, you know, I think that's a great point because even Brittany Griner, who was, uh, I wouldn't say hate America, but very critical of America. Uh, I think she came back singing a different tune. I think she was really happy to be back in America. And and I, I feel like, you know, that's never lost on me. I, I love this country. I visited um, others, but I, I really do feel like this is where it's at. Of course, whenever I say something like that, somebody wants to take exception somewhere and take a pot shot at me and say, oh, come on, what America's this, America's that, America's blah, 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 blah. And they, and they want to beat up and, you know, and crap on America. And look, that's their right. And I'm one of those guys where you, you could you could say what you want. Just, you know, keep it within the lines of respect. And I think it's it's so um, it's so important that we, we not lose sight of that. Right. We got to keep talking about this stuff. We have to remember why America's great in spite of what Joe Baboso Biden is doing to our federal government and the country vis-a-vis his policies. These things are important, but I think you're right. Derek needs a, um, perhaps a wake-up call if, if we can get him one, if we can get him a nice trip to one of these countries where you know um, he could see things up close and personal and really start to appreciate the United States, Paul.
10: Yes, and maybe he should talk to a veteran who don't, doesn't have an arm or a leg or maybe don't have both legs or something. Maybe he should talk to them that's fought for this country. So Now, anyway, I wanted to ask you another question, if I could, Rich. Um, now, over in uh, Poland, they're going to get some, uh, I think uh, the United States government said they're going to get in some Apache helicopters now mm-hmm. and so forth, and the F-16s are going over there. And I called you the other night, but we was in speed round at the end of the show, And I would like to know your thoughts on what you think about them giving those F-16s and so forth. I think this will change the whole scope of that war. You know, they could go in and attack now.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. When you're able to go on offense um, with somebody that's been blasting you from the air and you haven't been able to defend yourself but for using surface-to-ground missiles, you know, like uh, this is a true game changer. So I think you're right on that one. I agree with you 100%. Uh, and hopefully that brings a resolution here, right? If you can put up enough of a fight, eventually the fight will end. Uh, that's my belief. Maybe it's uh, it's a naive one, but that's where I'm at. Paul in Zanesville, Ohio, WHIZ. Thank you so much for the call, for the great insight, and I appreciate your... Uh your faithful listenership. Folks, we're coming right back to the rest of your calls. We're going to Wisconsin and other places in the country in the speed around as we wrap it up. Don't go anywhere. This
2: is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
0: America, welcome back. Richie V here with you. Straight till 1 a.m. keeping you company all night long. And we're almost out of time. It's the speed round. Let's go to Anne. She's in La Crosse, Wisconsin. W-I-Z-M. Go.
9: You're looking good, Rich. Oh, well, thank you. Um, and you were talking about a divorce. My neighbors were uh had a disagreement about the one guy's upcoming wedding. So the future bridegroom said I don't like to argue. And the other guy says to him, If you don't like to argue, why are you getting married?
0: <laughs> That's classic. I love that, And Let's go to Daryl. Daryl's in Hawley, Minnesota, with 45 seconds to go. Daryl, go for it.
6: Okay. Yeah, I got a quick joke. Yeah, there's this uh, salesman driving down the country road, and he well, also, and, and all of a sudden, there's ending yeah, down the country. Well, all of a sudden, there's a you know, three legged chicken come up on the shoulder of the road, and he ahead of him. That's how I speed up and get a good look at it. And so the chicken went a little faster. He went, 40, he went about 40 miles an hour. And he, a little fat, he went about 50. He only bends up to 60 miles an hour. He can't catch, catch this three-legged, it's a three-legged chicken. He can't catch this three-legged chicken.
5: A
0: three-legged chicken? I can't do it, Daryl. We're dying over here. Folks, we're coming back tomorrow. Daryl's going to call us back and finish his joke about the three-legged chicken. Until then, hasta la próxima. Take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez.